from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Sleep apnea is a major cause of exhaustion in older adults, but a new study shows its effects go far beyond tiredness. It's actually correlated with dangerous driving. For every eight breathing interruptions per hour, the odds of taking dangerous actions behind the wheel, like speeding or braking hard, increase by 27%. That means even mild sleep apnea can be a big problem. That's according to a new study published in the journal Sleep. Its senior co-author is Dr. Brendan Lucy. He's an associate professor of neurology and the director of Washington University's Sleep Medicine Center, and he joins us today. So, Dr. Lucy, welcome back. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. So you study sleep, but for this study, you also had to study driving. You collected data on more than 100,000 driving trips among 96 older adult drivers. What sort of driving habits were you looking for in this data? Well, we were looking to um, monitor uh, the, the, the data from the, from the car when, when individuals were driving it. Uh, my colleague uh, Ganesh Babalal and his research group placed uh, GPS data loggers in the cars that would continuously monitor information about speed of the car, hard braking, sudden acceleration. And using this data, they're able to um, create measures of aggressive driving or adverse driving behaviors. And these are what we looked at in this study. And so you looked at their driving there, and then you're also trying to correlate that with their sleep habits. Uh, What kind of data were you looking at on the sleep end of things? Well, these participants um, were enrolled in studies at the Knight Alzheimer Disease Research Center at Washington University. And as part of their participation, they undergo uh, multiple different uh, study assessments. So there's groups that are looking at uh, memory and thinking and performing standardized tests for those, um, th- th- those cognitive uh, uh, functions. Um, and then we were looking at sleep, and we, we measured sleep via multiple ways. We asked questions and, and had them do had, had participants answer questionnaires, such as how sleepy they were feeling. And we measured sleep using a device worn on the forehead that measures brainwave activity, and we can look at our, our individual sleeping, what stage of sleep they're in. And lastly, we used um, a, a home sleep apnea test device that measures the number of breathing events that participants had per hour, um, and this is this is a me- this is a measure that we use to both diagnose and determine the severity of sleep apnea. And one thing I would point out about all of the participants in this study is they were 96 older adults, but they did not have any problems with memory or thinking. So these were cognitively unimpaired uh, individuals that we were looking at, and all of these measures were being done. Um, simultaneously. So during the year that the driving was being monitored um, by Dr. Babalal's uh, group, my group was measuring sleep over multiple nights. And I want to bring it back to a detail that you mentioned on sleep. When you talk about breathing events, you're basically talking about Mm -hmm. breathing interruptions? That's right. Uh, Sleep apnea is a sleep disorder where individuals have either um, obstruction or blockage of their airway, or the airway gets narrowed, or in some cases the airway's open, but they're just not moving the air, they're not breathing. 
And we look at how many times these are happening per hour. So, so everyone probably has, you know, a handful of these events that may occur, you know, one to three in a, in a given night. But when it reaches the level of having five per hour, um, that's the threshold where we consider it to be abnormal. And five to 15 breathing events per hour is mild sleep apnea. 15 to 30 is moderate. And greater than 30 breathing events per hour is severe sleep apnea. And you can see how the, these could be quite disruptive to your sleep because when it reaches the severe level, it's occurring at least every two minutes that you're having a breathing event. Wow. So at that point, you're just not getting good sleep whatsoever. That's right. It's 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 very disruptive of the normal um, cycling through different sleep stages that we need to do. It can also um, increase your blood pressure in the middle of the night when usually it would drop down, increase the heart rate, um, and have numerous other um, uh, problems. So what sort of correlation did you see between people who are having these bad night's sleeps, these apnea interruptions, and then how they're driving the next day? So what, what we found was that as the, the number of breathing events per hour increased by eight, and, and that's, a, I think, a relatively small number, given that you have to have five breathing events to be abnormal, and five to 15 is, is, is mild sleep apnea. So if someone had an increase from mild to moderate, that would, that, that would likely be in, in, in this range that we're talking about. And if you had an increase of eight breathing events per hour of sleep apnea, that led to, as you said in the introduction, about a um, uh, 1.7 um, times more likely to have an adverse driving event per trip. Hmm. And we did monitor um, through this this data logger that was plugged into the car over 100,000 trips. And so it's the, the likelihood of there being adverse driving behaviors such as that sudden acceleration, hard braking, um, uh, is that much more likely um, if you're, as your sleep apnea level increases. And so did you control for people who might be just bad drivers to begin with? <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately, we, 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 we weren't able to, to do that. We were able to control for numerous other factors. For instance, we looked at the level of sleep time or self-reported drowsiness that, that um, participants had. We, looked, we controlled for age, sex, um, the level of Alzheimer's disease changes in the brain. And even after controlling for those factors, we, we still see this, this relationship. Hmm. Um, I think that the, the total sleep time and other sleep measures that we looked at didn't correlate because those would, those would have been collected on, say, a single day or over a, a very few number of days during that year. Whereas sleep apnea, is that, 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 that level is likely to be sustained night after night and have potentially less variability than the sleep time may. So what does this tell you as you sort of put these two grids together? You know, you're looking at issues with sleep apnea. You're looking at dangerous driving. Does this mean people with sleep apnea, even mild sleep apnea, are at real risk and, and potentially a risk to others on the road? To, to me, the, the, the biggest implication of this is, is that there, there's a lot of treatment options for sleep apnea that are currently available. And, and, and someone has suspected of sleep apnea, you know, if they were to be treated effectively, you know, would that decrease the number of adverse driving behaviors that, 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 that they would have? And then 
potentially decrease the number of motor vehicle accidents that they get in. Although that's not a question that we're able to directly answer in this study. Sure. And and so someone has mild mild sleep apnea. Um, I, I I would be less 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 concerned, and more more thinking about it in a different way. Whereas someone has moderate to severe sleep apnea, if we treat them and we drop their number of breathing events per hour of sleep from thirty down to less than five, you know, are we going to make their driving that much safer? I think that's an unanswered question, but it it's a very exciting possibility because. Um, it's a sleep apnea is a very treatable condition and potentially we could increase the time that that older adults are able to drive safely. Hmm. Well, that seems like a very good thing. I know older adults do not want to stop driving. And as you note in this study, it's actually not good um, for them to prematurely stop driving. That's correlated with problems of its own. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, premature stopping of driving in older adults is associated with um uh, at, you know, bad, bad health outcomes. And uh, potentially it may be because it's, you know, it's a marker of problems like untreated sleep apnea or other health, health, health disorders. Um, and, you know, the potential to, 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 to treat something like sleep apnea that, that has a lot of, there's a lot of options um, that are very effective and to prolong uh, independent driving, I think would be a really wonderful outcome down the road from this research. We're talking today to Dr. Brendan Lucy. He's an associate professor of neurology and director of Washington University's Sleep Medicine Center, talking about just uh, how dangerous untreated sleep apnea can be. And we want to hear from you. If you have questions about your sleep or you're wondering uh, whether what you're dealing with might well be sleep apnea, uh, Dr. Lucy is here to answer your questions. We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. So, Dr. Lucy, you mentioned that apnea is treatable. Um, how easy is it to treat? There's there's many different treatment options. The most common one is something called CPAP therapy, which is where you wear a mask and you breathe air at a higher pressure than the air around us. And this is very effective treatment, and most patients uh, are able to tolerate it. There are some that have trouble, uh, as you could imagine. You know, you you've slept a certain way your your whole life, and now we're going to strap a mask onto your face and, um, and and ask you to sleep with it on. I do like to point out to patients that's a very natural treatment because all that high air pressure is doing is keeping your airway open so mm-hmm. that it doesn't narrow or collapse. There's no surgery. There's no drugs involved. But there are other alternatives, such as dental appliances that bring the lower jaw forward and open up the space in the back of the the throat to, to, to allow air to, to, to passage and not be, uh, not be restricted. Um, There's new therapies such as a a stimulator device that um, is implanted in the chest. This is obviously more invasive, but it detects when you breathe and, and raises the, the palate in the back of the throat and sticks out the tongue to create more, more, more space in, 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 in the airway. Huh. And so there's, there's numerous treatments that, that, that can be performed. And, and some individuals, if they meet the right uh, characteristics where it's very position dependent, 
even just sleeping on your side in a lateral position may, may be effective. Hmm. So there are treatments for this. And I know part of what you're here today is, is to encourage people to seek treatment if this is something they suffer from. Something that's interesting, you've said the percentage of older adults with mild sleep apnea is 30 to 50 percent. That seems really high. Is it possible there's a lot of people out there who are suffering from this and don't even realize it? I, th- I think there are a lot of individuals who have sleep apnea and don't realize it. Mild sleep apnea is very common in, in older adults. The, the question about whether or not it needs to be treated is is debated, um, uh, mainly be, be because we, we, we often treat individuals with mild sleep apnea if they have that finding plus something else, such as daytime sleepiness or problems with memory and thinking or problems with mood. Um, and and if they don't if they don't have any of those in th- those characteristics, patients may not come to medical attention. Usually, it becomes moderate or severe. There's more obvious uh, obvious uh, signs, um, but it, it is very very common. And I'm sure there's a number of individuals who uh, are not currently being treated who are listening. I think that if they if there's any suspicion about problems with breathing while sleeping, such as uh, you know, sn- loud snoring with 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 long pauses in the snoring, mm. or waking up gasping for breath, or that being observed by by a bed partner. Um, I would encourage them to speak to their their physician um, about it. Okay, those are a few good things to look for there. That loud snoring, waking up gasping for breath. If that's you, you may want to talk to your doctor. Um, I'm going to go to the phone lines here. And just a reminder, those phone lines are open. You can call us at 314-382-8255. Again, that's 382-TALK and share your questions for Dr. Lucy. Uh, Ralph is calling from Owensville, Missouri. Uh, Ralph, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, Um I'm a uh, Vietnam veteran, uh, and um, I've, I've since learned from uh, other veterans and my age, uh, which is 70 and, and up, that their doctors uh, are, re- are asking them to get um, sleep apnea studies, uh, and uh, they think that there may be a connection between PTSD, sleep apnea, hmm. and like... Uh, AFib uh, heart issues are, and I was wondering if uh, if you've worked with any uh, uh, military veterans that were in combat, and uh, thank you. Uh, Ralph, that's a great question there. Dr. Lucy, is that something you have any experience with? I have, I have some experience with that. First, I'd like to thank Ralph for his service, and I was um, uh, on active duty in the United States Air Force for four years, and I had the opportunity to work with some individuals who were um, had been in combat situations and had PTSD and sleep symptoms are really part of the core diagnostic features of uh, PTSD, um, particularly insomnia, but also nightmares. So there's a number of sleep concerns that that, that occur in individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder and are, are key to both making the, the diagnosis, that's what's going on, um, but also can really severely affect the treatment. Um, I've even had uh, uh, patients who were referred for sleep apnea because they were waking up gasping for breath. And in, in you know, working with them, we, we determined that they weren't, they weren't waking up gasping for breath from sleep apnea, but because they were having um, nightmares and, and events uh, uh, related to their, their PTSD and to the 
the, their, their combat experience. Hmm. And so I, I think that it is a, a, a very uh, important part of both diagnosing PTSD and also and also treating it. Hmm. So it sounds like you, if you have one, you want to look into this, you may find there's another and it may be that one leads to the other and vice versa. That's right. If you have poor sleep and you're, you're, you're suffering from um, uh, PTSD, the potentially improving your sleep, you know, could help with other aspects of the treatment. I think um, we can all agree that when we're, we're not sleeping well, we may feel irritable. Certainly, um, I can attest to that. <laughs> and if you, if you have another disorder that, that, that is going on, like PTSD or depression, you know, the poor sleep may, may magnify the effects um, that, that you have from, the, from those health problems. Hmm. I want to go back to the phone lines. Dennis is calling from O'Fallon. Uh, Dennis, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hello. Um, I had a sleep study done um, two years ago, and I uh, showed as severe with 48 episodes an hour. And then uh, a couple years later, I did another sleep study, and after I had the 48, I did use a CPAP machine. Hmm. And then um, just this past uh, winter, I had another sleep study, and it showed I only had 12 episodes an hour. Wow. Are the sleep hmm. studies consistent, or I'm, I, I haven't noticed any difference. Hmm. So, Dennis, you're saying you did do this treatment, and the study seems to suggest improvement, but that's something you haven't noticed. You're you're thinking maybe that it's just it's not a consistent study. Well, I I'm wondering because mm-hmm. you know when I did the second sleep study, I wasn't using the CPAP machine. Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting, Dr. Lucy. Thoughts on that, and and what kind of consistency we might expect to see on on this kind of thing. I think there would be a couple of questions that I, that I would have. One is, you know, the type of, of study that, that was being done. We're moving increasingly to home sleep testing where uh, uh, individuals wear the sleep monitoring devices at home. And those do measure the, the breathing events differently than when it's done in the lab and there's more detailed monitoring. Uh, there can also be night-to-night uh, variability, obviously, in the, the number of events that is that is uh, that that are recorded, um, although forty to twelve is a is a very is a larger discrepancy than I would think. But sometimes intervening events, um, such as you know significant weight loss, can affect the um, uh, can affect the number of events that individuals have per night. Um, and lastly, I would say there, there 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 can be a phenomenon where individuals who are treated with with CPAP um, and then are tested off CPAP very after a very short time um, being off of it, for instance, a day or two, where it, it does appear that the, the number of breathing events per hour is slightly, it, it may be decreased compared to, to what, it, what it is if you'd, le- if you'd left them off CPAP for several weeks. Hmm. Um, and so I'm not, without knowing, you know, more information, it's difficult for me to, to comment on exactly what was occurring in this, this particular instance, but th- th- there are reasons why the study may, may, may differ over time. Okay. Well, Dennis, thank you for that uh, question and for your call. We hope you continue to get uh, better sleep. We also heard from Jonathan, who called in. He's uh, happy to have this taken off the air. But he said that uh, he was tested for sleep apnea. He's on a four-month wait list for the CPAP device because of supply chain issues and recalls. Dr. Mm -hmm. Lucy, is that something that that you've been aware of uh, for your patients, that this, like everything else in the American economy, people might not be able to get these devices right away? 
Yeah, this has been an enormous problem for our, for almost a year now. Um, last June, there was a uh, recall initiated on CPAP devices from one of the largest uh, com companies that makes them, um, Philips Respironics, and uh, the, the the machines were affected were in the millions, hmm. and they they have been trying to repair or replace those devices ever since. This process has been very long, and and to my knowledge, they're not providing new machines to the the market. They're trying to serve customers who had these devices, patients who had these devices, and are affected, and that's that's really reduced the number that are being made. Uh, by the because that's a huge they had like forty percent or some you know large percentage of the market share, um, and then that's been further hampered by the supply chain uh, issues that have impacted so many other uh, uh, things that we that we buy, including you know that involve computer chips and, hmm. and the like, and so this has been an enormous uh, problem and very frustrating for 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 us as. Uh, sleep providers and also for most importantly for our patients. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that Jonathan's experience yeah. is not a unique one. And um, I know that, you know, you're such a, a proselytizer for the importance of a good night's sleep. This is really part of, of what you want to leave us with today. From this study in particular and, and the work that you're doing on sleep apnea, just in our final minute here, what what thought is it that you'd want to leave listeners with? I think the, the the main thought that I would want to leave listeners with is that if you you know suspect that you have a sleep disorder to get that evaluated and treated because it could have a, a lot of problems with your health or with your functioning such as driving um, and I, I think you know we've mentioned some of the signs of sleep apnea to be on the lookout for snoring and the waking up gasping um, but if if you feel like your sleep quality is poor and you're not able to you know, to undertake the, the, the tasks you like to do, the, the activities you like to do during the day because you're too drowsy, that also may be a good sign to, uh, to, 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 to drive you to sleep to your, uh, to, to speak with your doctor about your sleep problems and potentially get evaluated. Well, Dr. Brendan Lucy, as always, we appreciate uh, you sharing this information with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury and Jane Mather-Glass with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on apple podcasts on the app store it's the simplest way to help people discover our show thanks st louis public radio is a member supported service of the university of missouri st louis Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.